to Buy Your Love, where we discuss the excellent and praiseworthy things in Christchurch, here and abroad. I am your host, Caleb Allen, together with my good friend, Ryan Somerville. Ryan, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Nice uh, beginning to the day. A little dreary and gloomy here in East Rochester, but it's actually kind of par for the course for the season, so not all that surprising. How are you? Pretty good. Not not gonna lie, I haven't even stepped outside today. I don't I don't know what the weather's like. I guess I you can have windows. My window. Yeah, my window says it's not windy. So, uh, <laughs> and being that we're in Kansas, it's either windy or really windy or not so windy. <laughs> so. Well, uh, why don't why don't we go ahead, since you know our listeners have no idea who we are, and let's introduce ourselves. Uh, I'll let you go first. Well, I, my name is Ryan Somerville. I am the pastor at Rochester Reformed Presbyterian Church in East Rochester, Pennsylvania. Been here for going on three and a half years by the end of the year, and then I spent four years in Cleveland, Ohio serving at Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church. So all told, I've been a pastor for seven and a half years. It's kind of hard to think that I've been out of seminary for that long. But nonetheless, this is where we are. Yeah, it's it's been pretty crazy how, how the years have, have flown by. I'm Caleb Allen. Uh, I am... Also a pastor out here in Denison, Kansas. And if you don't know where Denison is, I didn't either until I candidated. But we're in the northeast corner of uh, Kansas. Uh, not quite, not quite on the Missouri border, and not quite to the Nebraska border, but far enough northeast that, yeah. Uh, I'm coming up on two years uh, in the ministry. I took a little bit of a longer approach and and only stretched out my degrees that ideally should have taken seven years into 12. So, so yeah, this is my first pastorate. I haven't, haven't served anywhere else as a teaching elder, though I served at we both served at different times as ruling elders in uh, RP Church, Providence RP in Pittsburgh. All right, so we're starting this new endeavor, starting a podcast, and no doubt one of the questions uh, that we have had to think through, and and I think also our listeners will be asking, is why another one? Like there's so many Christian podcasts, there's so many reform podcasts. Why another podcast? And I think on on the one hand, that answer is is relatively simple. Uh, this is not a polemical podcast. It's not necessarily a didactic or teaching podcast but it has a more practical emphasis. So we're not saying that it's, that it's bad to have polemical podcasts. We've, we've both enjoyed and benefited from, from a few of those 
over the years. And we're also not saying that it's that it's bad or wrong to have a a podcast more geared towards teaching. But there seems to be a blind spot in the reform podcasting world or for a program that encourages faithful Christian living with right motives. So while we don't claim to be experts in this, uh, it's it's been an issue that has over the last several months, especially has become more and more uh, of a burden to us and, and a desire of ours to see uh, to see the church embrace, uh, which is also why we're calling it by your love. Uh, if you remember from first John 13 uh, verses 31 through 35. Well, for those who don't remember, um, Ryan, would you would you read those passages for us? First John chapter thirteen. Oh no, <laughs> or John chapter thirteen. John, John, yeah. <clears throat> I I still make those sorts of mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> just don't make them from the pulpit, right? And you'll be fine. Oh, I've done that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I reverse my words all the time. Well, in John chapter 13, it's always good to have a, uh, a bit of context about what we're reading. And this is, you know, John, John's a little bit different in that it focuses on, on love a little bit more than the synoptic gospels do. And um, in John chapter 13, he gives us the famous words that actually will be repeated when you get into First uh, John about uh, love and life in the body life, love in the body life of the church. Because it's not a small element or small facet of what Christian living is supposed to be out be about. It's actually a key, central element. I mean, after all, it's because God first loved us and sent his son for us that we are in the position to love. So love is a central theme, but it's a central theme that often gets overlooked because we're worried about doctrinal purity, which doctrinal purity is is good. We need to be searching for a better and, and a more comprehensive understanding of the doctrine contained in Scripture. And addressing false teaching is, is also something that is important to do. And knowing how to respond to the cultural context in which we live, the historical epic that we are currently in, these are all good things. But we often forget about the fact that, that we are called to, to be treating one another in our local body a particular way, and also the broader church in a particular way, that there's a particular element that is to characterize all of our interactions with one another that sets us apart, or should set us apart, from the world around us. And Jesus is talking about when he is to, to leave, to head up to heaven after the work that he has done, He's going to give his disciples an instruction about how they are to conduct themselves in his absence. And so, after Judas has has left, he says this to his disciples in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. So, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. 
You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So that's the new commandment or renewed commandment, because it's not something that wasn't present in the Old Testament, but it's a a renewed directive coming from Jesus, having fulfilled the types and shadows of the New Testament. And that is that you are to love one another central component of their life together as the people of God in the new covenant era is to love one another. And in a particular way, to love one another in the way that Jesus Christ has loved. So that's the idea of a, of a self-sacrificial love for the well-being of another, that we are to have in our minds the well-being of others. Philippians chapter 2 is filled with that directive and gives Jesus Christ both as the foundation and example of what it is to love in such a way as to have uh, others in your consideration. You'll remember in Philippians chapter two, we're told to be of one mind with one another. We're told there that we are to, to not think only on our own things, but also on the things of others, on the needs and the interests of others. In other words, previously, when we were not yet Uh, united to Christ in faith, given by the Holy Spirit, we lived for ourselves. We lived to use others as our means of gaining for ourselves the things that we want, whether it be possession or whether it be fame. You you can list as many things as it could be, but self-love is what governed us prior to gospel grace. And after gospel grace, it is to be the love for God and the love for others that is central to the perspective of life that we are that we are living and we are to love one another the way that Christ loved us and then he says that if we do this verse 35 by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so our love for one another is a chief evangelistic tool something that we don't necessarily think about as much as we ought to we are about, you know, proclamations of the gospel from the pulpit, proclamations of the gospel in the conference, the conference hall, proclamations of the gospel through podcasts and blogs, proclamations of the gospel through street preaching, proclamation of the gospel through individual personal relationships with unbelievers. But we never think about proclamation of the gospel through actually living the life of love that we are called to live how we live, how we live in love, how we put our own interests aside in service to God and in service to others is the most powerful evangelistic tool that we have in our evangelistic toolbox, second only to the actual word of God, because it's through the word that the spirit works. But if we love like we ought to love, the world should see that and know that we are Jesus Christ's disciples. And it's by that means that we will find we have opportunity then to take the word, the powerful word that the Spirit makes effective, and proclaim it to others uh, because we're moving stumbling blocks that we ourselves are responsible for if we're loving as we ought to love. So by your love, they will know that you are my disciples. And so a podcast that's focused on how it is and finding positive examples in, in ways that the church loves each other is kind of important, kind of something that's overshadowed and overlooked. Uh, We tend to to focus on all the negative things, the negative culture that we live in, all of the the uproar over the various issues that present themselves in a a nation that has 
uh, fallen far away from, from any pretense of Christianity in a lot of different ways. And we want to focus on all of those negative things. And also, we, have to, we focus on the negative things inside the church. The church is filled with failures. It's filled with sinful people. Yeah. And as a result, it's filled with sin and with sinful failures. And we tend to focus on that. We have discernment ministries that are focused on and, and dedicated to pointing out all the ways in which the church is failing. And that's not to say that they shouldn't be there. We do need to be open. And we need to be exposing the sin within the church itself so that it can be rooted out and sanctified as it ought to be. But sometimes... Sometimes it's good to actually turn away from the dark things and look towards the light. Sometimes it's good to turn away from the ways in which sinful people sin and focus on the ways in which God's sanctifying grace is working itself out in the lives of others. And that there really is a component of loving one another's, loving one another that, that is still within the church as God sanctifies it. If if you've seen the new Lord of the Rings show, The Rings of Power, there's a line in that show that says, in order to see the light, sometimes you must touch the darkness. And in a certain sense, what we're doing with this podcast is we're we're going against that idea and and wanting to proclaim a message that says, no, in order to see the light, you need to face the light in yep. order to, in order to know how to properly hold to doctrine, you have to first look into, well, you have to look into the law of God, right? You have to look into those two primary commandments when jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment in the law he gives two right and he says to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself if our doctrine does not flow out of a love first for god and a desire to love god with our minds and thus having a right doctrine but also, if it doesn't flow out of a love for our neighbors and thus impacts how we argue for the particular application of Scripture that we believe is, is correct, if it doesn't shape how we do that, then it's not love. And you, I think we can even go so far as to say that it's not proper doctrine. That if there's not this component of driving us to love God, of driving us to love, especially our brothers and sisters in the church, then we don't have a proper grasp of the gospel, uh, no matter how technically correct our doctrine is. And Paul hammers this hammers this point home in 1 Corinthians 13. See, I can get my references right sometimes. Um, <laughs> where he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So love then worked out, lived out within the Christian community is of great importance. And so what we are wanting to do, uh, both as a benefit for ourselves, as a way of encouraging us to look into the perfect law of love, and also as a benefit to our hearers, we want to highlight through this podcast, loving God's people. So, and then our goal, according to Jesus, is that our love for one another would become so infectious that the unbelieving world would see it and would be filled with a good sort of envy and jealousy, that they would desire the love that we have, which only comes through Christ. And they may not know that it only comes through Christ, but they'll see that, and Lord willing, they'll then come to us, and as Peter said, ask for a reason for the hope, or we might say for the love that is within us, and thus give us an opportunity to share Christ with our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, our co-workers, anyone who is not following Christ. And then also to serve as an encouragement for those who are to add to their following of Scripture, following the pattern of behavior that Christ set in how he loved his disciples. That's a very important part, right? It's not just that we are to love, but that love looks a certain way. There's a certain model for it. Uh, So if we think about the way in which Christ loved, I think we can break it down very broadly into three distinct types of actions or three distinct ways in which he showed his love for his disciples. First is that he spent time with them. He spent time with them. He spent a lot of time with them. It, it wasn't a matter that he would, he would sometimes get together and then enjoy a meal, or maybe sometimes they would go and grab lunch, or sometimes they would have each other over but he spent constant time with with his disciples. Now, for those of us who aren't already in the practice of of enjoying that Christian fellowship, it it'll take some time to build to that, right? Where we where we actually desire more and more time with our brothers and sisters. But that's the first step in showing showing love and loving is that you have to spend time. You don't spend time, you can't love them. You can't. The second is that he spoke to them, 
but but he spoke truth. So he wouldn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He would tell them what they needed to hear. But because of the time that he was already spending with them, he was able then to to flavor his words with love so that they knew even when he had hard things to say, it's coming from a place of love for them and not from a place of theological supremacy where where maybe what he wants to do is just beat into their skulls the the right articulation of a particular doctrine um and that i think that can be a particular temptation for us in the reformed community that sometimes we can get so wrapped up in in the right articulation that we forget we're speaking with people we're speaking with image bearers and our desire should be to show love to them as image bearers and particularly when they are brothers and sisters in Christ i mean even our westminster standards tell us that the churches in various and different ages are more or less pure that means every church no matter what age of history they're in has improving to do every church and then the final the final way in which Jesus loved his disciples was, and you already alluded to this, Ryan, it was a sacrificial love where Christ goes to the cross after he has lived a life in perfect obedience to the Father. He goes to the cross and takes in upon his flesh the punishment that you and I deserve. For our sins. He literally spills his blood. And he tells. He he hints to the disciples. That, that this is what he's going to do. When he says that. Greater love has no man than this. To give his life for his friend. And that's what. That's what Jesus does. Yeah, that's what Jesus does. And, and interestingly enough, something that I think that uh, we oftentimes don't actually pay attention to is that what Jesus does and says in the gospel is further articulated in the rest of the New Testament. I think that we often look at the New Testament and kind of think of it apart from what Jesus taught and what Jesus did, when that's not actually the case. What it is, is that the Holy Spirit is inspiring men to go ahead and apply what Jesus taught in the main, what Jesus demonstrated in the main to the particular circumstances for the people that they were writing to, and ultimately for us as well, all these many centuries later. And so you can see, in particular, those three things actually finding themselves expressed in the scriptures as well. I think about the idea of spending time with one another, right? That Jesus, by his time with his disciples, dedicating and devoting time to, to teach them and to instruct them, uh, to lead them into a knowledge of the truth. Uh, it's not any small coincidence that when you get into Hebrews and we have that familiar phrase that we all use to justify the, the need to be in public worship, which is true, 
that we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's the manner of some is, but it, we often look right past the verse that comes before that, which talks about that the reason that we are to do that is so that we can provoke one another to love and to good works. In other words, a means by which we grow in our love for one another is in our time spent together, provoking one another to love and to good works. So the the call to gather together to assemble with the people of God is in service of that very truth. Provoke one another unto love and to good works. And then we talk about you know, speaking truth, we're called to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to speak with you know, with grace, seasoned with salt, that we might know how to answer every man, that we're supposed to be looking in our speech to edify one another, to come to a better understanding of the truth that we've been given and how it is that we are to live that truth out. Uh, it's interesting that that when you look in Ephesians, where, where that idea comes from, that it's no small coincidence, again, just as in Hebrews, that you get three chapters in Ephesians that are dedicated to demonstrating how it is that God loved us in Christ from before the foundation of the earth. And it's not until that's placed before the Ephesian believers, and it's not until Paul expresses his desire that they would be able to understand and comprehend the depth and the breadth of the love that God had for them, then they are to uh, implement that in terms of the way that they that they live towards one another. The gospel is others centric to its core. That it's yeah. about it's about growing in our love and our apprehension of the love that God has had for us, in order that we might grow in our love for Him. And in our love for one another and find that played out. A chief example of that in Ephesians is, is the directive against the person who steals, right? You'll notice it's let the person who steals, let him steal no more. And then it stops, right? Well, no. <laughs> let him steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands, working, working that which is good. Why? So that he might have something to give for someone in need. Um, so we need, to, we need to understand and recognize that that. Our apprehension of the love of God for us should produce within us a love for him that works itself out in a love for others, those who bear his image, those who are united to us in Christ, and then those who lie outside of covenantal bounds in the proclamation of the gospel. And our words are part of that, that our attitude and disposition behind the words that we say matters and the way that we convey truth matters and the purpose for which we convey truth matters. I'll give you a bit of an example here that think about the way that we articulate the regulative principle in the reformed faith. Uh, This is probably one of my little soapbox moments. So everybody's just going to have to endure it. Uh, Especially in the RP church, we express that in, in EP exclusive psalmody and acapella worship. But oftentimes when we talk about the justification for the way that we worship, we leave out an entire component of what the regulative principle is about. We want to just focus on the idea that only God can command how he is to be worshipped. It's his right, which is true. If we love God, we will worship him as he has instructed us to worship him and not devise our own ways to do that. It's not a denial of that first part. But we forget about the second part, which is, therefore, we can't bind the consciences of others to something God has not commanded. In other words, if we love God, we will desire to worship the way that he has said he wants to be worshipped, 
And we will not desire to bind the conscience of others and cause them to stumble, to worship in a way contrary to what God has revealed he ought to be worshiped. Uh, so there's more to it than just the bare principle. What God has, if God hasn't commanded, it's, it's therefore forbidden. There's something underneath of that. It's not just the bare command. It's that because when we worship God the way that he has said he wants to be worshiped, we're showing that we love him. And when we um, provide the context in which other people can worship the way that God has called them to worship, we're showing that we love them. And that's that's something that we often sorely miss, especially in reformed circles where precision is the name of the game and love sort of gets lost in the ether. We, we also, we also forget that even, even the purpose of gathering together corporately has this others centeredness so that we don't, we don't just gather corporately so that we have a big group of people who come together to praise God. Like that's part of it, but that's not all of it. And the other component, which Paul very clearly lays out for us in Colossians 3, 16, is that even in our singing, it is to be for the admonition of one another. So that there's an other's element to it, even in our singing. Like, yes, Yes, we are singing praises to God, but at the same time, we exhort others and those around us to also be praising God for those same things. So if you take Psalm 1, for example, when we sing Psalm 1, we're not just singing that the blessed man is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, but we are admonishing one another to ourselves delight in the law of the Lord. It's both a reminder that this is what blessing, biblical blessing is, and it's a mutual call where we are saying, you now need to do this. You, my brother and my sister, need to delight in the law of the Lord. You need to meditate on his law day and night. Yeah. And so, you know, personally, as you talked to me about this podcast, the reason that I joined on to it is because it would be nice to to be able to have discussions about the way in which we see love for others growing and even practical talks about what it ought to look like, even in some of the failures that we see. Um, I personally uh, really enjoy the way in which all of these things hang together and kind of inform what it is that we are to to look at and to look for. You mentioned Colossians chapter three, where in verse 12, therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving another one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Right? So there are things that we can look at in Scripture that tell us what love looks like. And spending time to actually consider that and think about the ways in which we can put these things into action is something that, that's sorely, sorely needed 
when we get into the the blog and the vlog and the podcast sphere. Yeah. So that's our goal. That's our goal is to encourage each other and those that listen to grow in that love for Christ. And to do so, uh, the resulting in uh, actual loving Christ and not just a theoretical, we ought to do it. thank you for joining our discussion today. If you found this to be edifying, please consider sharing it with others. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.